chaos in the U.S. Capitol. They broke the glass. Hundreds of Trump supporters stormed the building. The insurrection exposing a major lapse in security. Pull them this way! And how President-elect Joe Biden responded. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We have continuing breaking news coverage of a day of chaos in the U.S. Capitol where a curfew remains in effect. A pro-Trump rally turned into an insurrection as thousands stormed the building to prevent Congress from certifying President-elect Joe Biden's election victory. Global's Reggie Cicchini is live for us in Washington tonight. Reggie, there's so much to unpack after a wild day, but thankfully U.S. democracy seems to be back on track tonight. Yeah, seems to get, uh, be getting back on track tonight, Chris, and that is because lawmakers have returned to the House and the Senate despite the damages that exist inside of these buildings as they continue to work forward on this uh, vote certification uh, that will ultimately uh, give Joe Biden the presidency on Inauguration Day. But it has come with a hitch. President Trump sparked uh, a tinderbox of political emotions uh, as, as he was calling on his supporters to rally, heading over to the U.S. Capitol building, doing absolutely everything that they could to get into the minds of lawmakers, essentially to try and see if they would flip. We saw them break through the doors. We saw them bust through windows. We saw them walking through the House chamber, through the U.S. Senate chamber. And in doing so, uh, they really tried to tear apart uh, at the fabric uh, of U.S. democracy. It's obviously being pushed back on tonight by lawmakers from all stripes. Reggie, there have been calls by some to invoke the 25th Amendment, which we amendment which gives Congress the power to remove a sitting president for certain reasons. What are the conversations and are they serious about invoking that amendment? Well, look, they are serious in the form of whispers among some cabinet members. Look, the 25th Amendment essentially lets the vice president assume the presidential roles in an acting basis if he has the majority of the cabinet or the majority of Congress. We are hearing that cabinet members are talking about this as a distinct possibility. There are also conversations amidst the Democratic Party to see whether or not in a 14-day period they could reopen an impeachment trial against President Trump and see if they would be able to convict him that way. There is a lot of anger amongst Republicans. There is a lot of anger amongst Democrats tonight, but we'll have to see how that plays out. As they continue on with this vote certification, there are still expected to be Republicans who will stand up and object to Vice President Biden's presidency. Uh, and if that happens, this very well could continue to keep this country, this city, and that Capitol building on edge. So much more to come over the coming days. Reggie Cicchini in Washington, D.C., thanks very much. All right, let's take you back for a moment to how the day began. A joint session of Congress where lawmakers were set to certify President-elect Joe Biden's Electoral College win. Paul Johnson now with how the day unfolded. The timeline was this. The U.S. Congress was convening for what was expected to be a controversial but predetermined outcome, a routine vote to recognize Joe Biden's victory in the presidential election. Is the objection in writing and signed by a senator? While that was happening, President Trump was having his Save America rally. And consistent with form, he repeated his belief that the election was stolen from him. We want to go back and we want to get this right. Whipped up into a high state of agitation, many of them marched down to the Capitol building, surrounded and stormed it. 
And why did you want to go in? We're storming the Capitol! It's a revolution! Overwhelmed at first, it took the Capitol Police and many reinforcements more than three hours to clear the building. No senators or members of Congress were hurt, but one woman died from a gunshot wound. The circumstances surrounding that still aren't clear. This is not dissent. It's disorder. It's chaos. It borders on sedition. So President Trump, step up. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. With the call out of the National Guard and a nighttime curfew ordered by the mayor, Washington finally became quiet. Vancouver police are looking for more victims after two men were attacked by a man allegedly armed with a machete on New Year's Eve. The unprovoked attacks happened on Granville near Nelson, and a man is now in custody. Romina Dea uh, now with one of the victims and what he credits with saving his life. Nobody deserves this. I'm the nicest guy in the world. William Johnson was walking home after visiting a friend around 6 p.m. New Year's Eve when he says he was approached by a man he's never seen before. I come walking down here with my big stereo. This guy asked me for my speaker. He said, hey, give me your speaker. I said, no, I turned around and I got actually macheted in the head. Still conscious, the 52-year-old managed to find help. And I walked into the, the Fresh Stone Air stop. I held my head with uh, napkins and paper towels until the ambulance and the cops came in. Remarkably, Johnson walked away with only four stitches. I had a hat, a bear hat, and he went through the seam. So I think my hat pretty much saved my life. Johnson's 26-year-old friend, a homeless man, was attacked just an hour earlier in the same area, also with a machete, say Vancouver police. He wasn't doing anything. This guy just walked up to him and uh, sliced his face. Police pleading with others to come forward. Word on the street that our officers have received is that there is at least one more victim out there and possibly more. We do dearly want to hear from anybody else who has been victimized. Police investigating whether a third machete attack on a 29-year-old homeless man near Cambian 7th on Christmas Eve is linked to the two Granville Street cases. 33-year-old Cruz Thomas Joseph is now facing six charges in connection to the two incidents on Granville Street on New Year's Eve. The charges include assault causing bodily harm, robbery and possession of a machete. Joseph has a long criminal resume dating back years, including convictions for assault, uttering threats, break and enter and dangerous driving. Johnson grateful he's still alive but fed up with what's happening to his neighborhood. Like it had to be drugs. It's all drugs nowadays. It's all everybody wants to do is drugs. Romina Dea, Global News.
The integrated homicide investigation team says a man shot and killed in his South Surrey home early this morning was connected to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. Grace Key joins us with more on this developing story. It happened in the Morgan Heights neighborhood, Grace. Yeah, this area does remain behind yellow police tape and we still have a few uh, police cruisers here at the scene. So still a very active police investigation. So we do know that the victim has been identified as 24-year-old Gary Kane. Now, police say he had gang ties. The shooting happened at 5 a.m. at the victim's family home on the Morgan Heights neighborhood in Surrey. About 40 minutes later, a car fire was reported in Langley at 229th Street and 78A Avenue. It's too early to say if the two are connected. Back in October 2017, he was wounded in a targeted hit that left his 27-year-old brother Randy dead. The following year, he was one of several people charged in a Vancouver police-led investigation called Project Territory. He was uh, known to police. We believe that this was a targeted incident. And further that uh, this, we believe, is linked to the ongoing Lower Mainland gang conflict. Now, it's much too early to comment uh, with respect to motive. Now, police are saying that there were possibly two shooters involved. They are, of course, wanting to speak with witnesses, especially anybody with dash cam video who may have been in the area of the shooting here in Surrey and the car fire in Langley. All right. Thanks for that, Grace Key, in Surrey for us. So it appears the combination of a buildup of gas and a spark from an electrical cable caused that big explosion Tuesday afternoon in a utility vault beneath the Granville Street Bridge. Catherine Urquhart has the details. BC Hydro investigators examined the remains of a massive explosion that happened Tuesday under the Granville Street Bridge at Pacific. At about 3 p.m., a blast sent large chunks of cement flying into the air. Several vehicles were damaged, one bursting into flames. Incredibly, no one was hurt. I heard like a loud noise and then a piece of metal went flying onto not the car that was on fire, but one way down at the end. Vancouver Fire Department investigators said Wednesday morning they had pinpointed the cause. It was caused by um, damage or faulty electrical lines, and it was a fairly high voltage lines That caused the fire under the access point that started the car fire. And then the large arc within a confined space is what caused the explosion. Later in the day, BC Hydro gave this explanation. What we have found so far is that there was a manhole um, that was covered by about a foot of concrete recently, which led to a buildup of gas underground, which potentially ignited something that caused the explosion. The investigation is continuing, according to BC Hydro, which is calling the explosion a rare event. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. People who should know better caught up in the COVID travel scandal. A Victoria councillor is facing some tough questions after his trip to East Africa. That's in just over a minute. The surprising danger in your bird feeder and how it might be connected to COVID later on the news hour. And a touching tribute to the residents of a care home hit harder than any other by coronavirus. That's later. Right now, though, B.C. reports record hospitalizations today as we learn the latest COVID-19 numbers for the province. We have 625 new cases, bringing B.C.'s total to 54,826. 
Sadly, we've had eight more deaths, which means we have now lost 962 people to complications of the virus. 381 people are in hospital, 78 of them in the ICU. 46,728 people are now considered recovered. We are left with 6,343 active cases, and just over 8,700 people in self-isolation. Keith Baldry joins us live with more on the numbers now and how the cases are actually shifting in health regions. Keith? Yeah, it's always interesting to track the movement of the virus through the health region. So if we do that on a daily basis, you don't want to read too much into one day's cases. But there are three statistical areas of interest today that I thought you'd bring to people's attention. Take a look at this. First of all, today was the highest number of cases, one day case count in Vancouver Coastal since November 20th. They've been tracking 100 there, 178 today. The highest ever one day case number in Vancouver Island at 28. And for the first time since the summer, Fraser health cases were less than 50% of the total total one-day cases. That's very interesting because Fraser, of course, at one point represented 75% of the daily cases. So the number's been going down in Fraser. It had been going down in Vancouver Coastal. Maybe this is just a one-day anomaly with Vancouver Island and Vancouver Coastal. We'll see in the days ahead. There was more testing yesterday than the previous days, almost 9,000 tests compared to about uh, 6,000 the days before that. And I'll leave you with one more statistic. Right now, as it stands, more than 33,000 people have been vaccinated with the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Good to see that number going up at least. All right, thanks yep. for that, Keith. Well, the number of COVID cases tied to the Little Mountain long-term care facility continues to grow. Vancouver Coastal Health says that as of yesterday, 99 residents and 70 staff have tested positive. 41 residents have died. An outbreak was declared in November at the 117-bed long-term care facility for seniors in Vancouver's Riley Park neighborhood. One of the province's top health educators is the latest official to have been outed for spending the holidays on vacation abroad. Dr. Peter Berman is the head of UBC's School of Population and Public Health. That faculty also includes the province's top doctor. Jordan Armstrong reports. Aloha! Who wouldn't want to spend the holidays in Hawaii? But of course, we've all been told to stay local. So at the UBC School of Population and Public Health, where Dr. Bonnie Henry is on faculty, you would think the department head, a doctor himself, would be among the first to champion and heed her advice. Not so. As a faculty member, I think we all need a break, but, you know, Hawaii... Yeah, I think we gotta. I think we gotta follow the rules. <laughs> I think it's like kind of hypocritical because they're enforcing all these like safety measurements, then they're disobeying them themselves. UBC recruited Dr. Peter Berman from Harvard in 2018. Here he was this past November speaking to fall graduates. It's our great privilege to be part of this profession that really is dedicated to improving the health of humanity. But Wednesday, after Global News was tipped off, Dr. Berman admitted he traveled and released a statement to the school community, which reads in part, quote, I recognize now that I should not have traveled and that many of you have made sacrifices over these past several weeks that I too should have made. I truly regret this decision. The statement doesn't say where Berman went, but we've confirmed it was Hawaii. Berman did not immediately respond to our request for comment. The university wouldn't do an interview, however, in a separate statement said it has no jurisdiction over policing private decisions, but it expects everyone in the UBC community 
to follow health guidelines. Everybody should be putting in their effort, but especially if the people that we're supposed to be listening to aren't putting in the effort. Yes. It sends kind of a bad message to like the general population. Apparently, Dr. Henry's message that we're all in this together didn't resonate with at least one colleague. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A Victoria City Councillor is also under fire tonight for traveling out of the country during the holidays. Charmark Dubot says he's sorry he traveled to East Africa to visit family. As Richard Zussman reports, some are saying he should do more than apologize. Travel backlash. Councillor Dubot's decision to travel internationally was both disappointing and irresponsible. A day after Victoria City Councilor Shamarke Dubo admitted he just returned from a non-essential trip to Africa, the city's mayor reacting. To me, it's, it's unacceptable that a, a councillor exercised poor judgment and, and didn't follow the rules. Dubo posting this on social media, apologizing for the decision to travel to Somalia, a country he fled with his family in 1992. But amid calls to resign, he's vowing to stay on saying, I will continue my commitment to push for building a just and equitable future for all residents of Victoria. On matters such as these, Councillor Dubot answers to the public, not to council, and ultimately the next steps are left in his hands. Dubot has turned off his phone, failing to return calls, texts, emails or messages. So far, he is the highest profile politician in the province who traveled with all MPs and MLAs from BC saying they didn't leave the country. It's obviously disappointing. And uh, I think people have expressed that disappointment pretty strongly. As Dubot clings to his job, others have paid the price. Ontario Finance Minister Rod Phillips and Alberta Municipal Affairs Minister Tracy Allard both resigned as ministers but are staying on as MLAs. You know, it resonates with a lot of people because it's very simple uh, for all of us to identify uh, with the circumstances and to say, well, I didn't do it. Uh, why is somebody who thinks they're better than me uh, having done that? As for Dubot, he's quarantining in Vancouver and promising to continue his council duties remotely. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Just ahead, catching up in healthcare. This effort to do, in a pandemic, more surgeries than we were doing before is so important. The plan to speed up surgeries so patients don't have to wait. And we'll check in again for the latest in Washington, D.C., now under curfew after a violent attack on the U.S. Capitol. Emergency crews are on scene to a crash here on the Burnaby New West border. It's on 10th Avenue and 2nd Street. Traffic was actually completely blocked before it looks like eastbound traffic has been reopened. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $6 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash on the Burnaby New West border. First wave of the COVID pandemic in the spring, the B.C. government put a stop to elective surgeries to help maintain hospital capacity. Surgeries restarted in May and now the province's health minister says 90% of the backlog has been cleared. Ched Trinecki has the details. On March 16th, all non-emergency surgeries were cancelled in BC because of the pandemic. The waiting list for scheduled or elective surgeries ballooned. They restarted some of those surgeries on May 18th, and today the province says it has all but caught up to where the waiting list was before the pandemic. This is a massive undertaking in our surgical system. I have to say that the progress that's being made today for our patients is, in a word, stunning. 
Since April, BC has hired about 500 nurses, 33 surgeons, 32 anesthesiologists, 173 technicians, and it's continuing to ramp up capacity. What this means is that from April 1st this year to March, 1st, uh, March 31st of 2022, health authorities will add 24% capacity increases over the, ba- the base year of 2019-20. That has to be welcome news for Chantel, whose mother has been waiting a full year to have an ileostomy bag removed. But her surgery keeps getting rescheduled six times in a month. It makes no sense. If they're catching up or almost caught up, then why is somebody who can't eat, who can't move, how come she's getting bumped? She says her mother's health is deteriorating as a large hernia continues to grow. To her, this is not elective surgery. Longer wait times have an effect, and it's why uh, this significant increase, this reduction in the number of people waiting for surgeries, this, this effort to do, in a pandemic, more surgeries than we were doing before is so important. And just to be clear, BC's wait list is still long. What they're saying today is that BC's health system has caught up to about 90% of those surgeries that were cancelled because of the pandemic. I come to work all day. I get home at 5.30. First thing I do, go see her. Crawl into bed with her, hold her hand, let her cry. (sighs) Sorry. Um, And try to tell her tomorrow will be a new day. She's at the point where she wants to end her life. There are still about 88,000 other patients waiting, a 12% reduction from the peak in May. Ted Chernack, Global News. Well, the site of one of BC's largest COVID-19 care home outbreaks is paying tribute to the residents who have lost their lives. The emotional video is showing the faces behind those staggering statistics. John Waugh has more on the important message staff hope the video serves. 24 doves resting on an evergreen tree. COVID-19 has been deadly. Each representing a devastating loss at this long-term care facility. We see those faces. There's a story behind um, those people and every one of them we love and we adore. Their memories live on. This video tribute and memory tree weighs for families and staff at Tabor Home in Abbotsford to grieve and remember. It's been... Uh, a way of honoring their their memory for sure, but it's also been a way of saying that their grief is being acknowledged. When a COVID-19 outbreak was declared here in early November, the virus was quick and cruel, with more than 150 confirmed cases between residents and staff. What's terrible is just devastating. It's, it's horrible. Wilbur's 94-year-old mother managed to pull through. Many weren't so fortunate. Sometimes it is a staff member who's holding their hand as they're taking their last breath. And that is the part that is hard to tell that story. Long-term care facilities have remained at the epicenter of this pandemic as COVID-19 continues its attack on one of the most vulnerable populations. There's a whole range of the emotions, right, from obviously grief, but also sometimes anger and questions as to why and, and how do I go on from here. Tabor Holmes hopes by being open about the lives that were lost. A strong message will be sent in their memory. We hear numbers, but these are individual people, and we wanted to make sure that they're recognized and that they're dignified and that their lives mattered. With no new cases in recent weeks, many are hoping the outbreak at Tabor Home will soon be declared over. As for this tree, it will be planted here on the grounds to ensure this incredible loss is never forgotten. John Hua, Global News. 
Up next, we've got some more amazing images after a violent mob stormed the U.S. Capitol. How the insurrection disrupted the transfer of power in Washington, D.C., and what happens now. Also to come, the B.C. CDC finally recognizes one insidious way COVID can spread. Good evening. Traffic is steady over here in both directions at the Massey Tunnel. Keep in mind, though, that there are lane closures during the overnight hours for some ongoing maintenance. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $6 million, plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. We'll take you back to our top story now, mob violence and disorder in Washington, D.C. This morning, crowds gathered in support of President Donald Trump as Congress met to certify Joe Biden's victory. But it didn't take long before chaos broke out. Paul Johnson has been watching the latest developments. He joins us now in studio. Paul, it's all quiet there now. And Congress is actually back at it tonight, surprisingly. Yeah, they are. They got back to work astonishingly quickly considering the events of today, with Congress reconvening for the debate and then the votes to recognize Joe Biden's victory in the presidential election. Now that is ongoing now, with the debates happening right now and the vote expected to happen at some point tonight. All told, this historic storming of the U.S. Capitol building lasted about three and a half hours. Massive reinforcements had to be called in, including the National Guard, and the mayor of Washington, D.C., Muriel Bowser, has now put her city under curfew tonight. I want to say to the American people, the United States Senate will not be intimidated. We will not be kept out of this chamber by thugs, mobs, or threats. We will not bow to lawlessness or intimidation. President Franklin Roosevelt set aside December 7, 1941 as a day that will live in infamy. Unfortunately, we can now add January 6, 2021 to that very short list of dates in American history that will live forever in infamy. So no senators or members of the House of Representatives were hurt in all of this. They were evacuated safely until the sergeant at arms could give them the all clear. One woman, though, died of a gunshot wound. We're still hoping to find out more details about that. But a lot of news left to break tonight, including the final certification of the election where Joe Biden won. And a lot of questions still to be answered about security. Uh, Huge question. At the Capitol building. Paul, thank you. You bet. Well, starting at midnight tonight, incoming air passengers to Canada must provide proof they don't have COVID-19. At the same time, Toronto's Pearson Airport is rolling out free voluntary testing for those arriving. Global's Sean O'Shea reports. Coming to Canada is about to get more challenging. On the final day, the travelers could arrive at Pearson Airport without proving they're not positive for coronavirus. Elsa Lawrence just beat the deadline. I'm so happy because in Jamaica, the test's not free. It, I would have had to pay at least 20000 which is about $200 Canadian dollars to get the test done in Jamaica. At midnight, most incoming international passengers must show evidence they're COVID-19 negative. This new interim order will provide an additional layer of protection for Canadians and travellers. The government first announced the new rules just before the new year. And immediately my first reaction was to panic. 
uh, and try to get a flight home as soon as I could. Victoria Mio Grassi from north of Toronto has lived in Montana for months. Her visa has almost run out. She had a tough time finding a clinic to provide a test so she could fly back. I had spent eight hours eight to nine hours on the phone calling several hospitals, civic centers, urgent care centers, private practitioners, just to try and get this test so I could return home. The testing demand comes on the first day Pearson Airport started to test incoming passengers, a demand made by Premier Doug Ford just before Christmas. My friends, today we're delivering on that promise. We are launching airport testing at Pearson Airport. Starting today, travelers coming into Pearson will be able to take a free and voluntary test. It's a game changer. At some point, they may have no choice but take another test here. Elsa Lawrence saw this as an opportunity. The cases are rising in Jamaica. My mom was sick and I've been in and out of the hospital and trying to assist her. So just for peace of mind. Non-essential travel continues to be strongly discouraged. Airlines, in contrast, are still trying to sell seats as governments and public health agencies put new rules in place in an effort to reduce cases. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. In Health Matters tonight, the BC Centre for Disease Control is adapting public health guidelines to include airborne transmission of COVID-19. The Public Health Authority now says the virus can travel in small droplets that become aerosolized and can linger in the air, especially inside for a long period of time. Earlier this week, hundreds of scientists, doctors and engineers penned a letter to Canadian health officials calling for stronger action to curb the spread of COVID through the air. They're advising officials to inspect ventilation systems in schools, long-term care homes and public institutions and to allocate funds for upgrades in those spaces. COVID doesn't stand a chance against one BC company. Still ahead, a taco chip maker on a path to success in the pandemic. We have the Health E UVC light system. The bright idea KPASA is using to keep its workers safe. And how your bird feeder could be making your feathered friends sick. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Some surprising advice tonight from wildlife experts. Take down your bird feeder. As Linda Aylesworth reports, a salmonella outbreak among birds is being blamed on some well-meaning homeowners who could actually be killing birds with kindness. Record numbers of dead or dying pine siskins, members of the finch family, are being brought to the Wildlife Rescue Association in Burnaby. We normally get under 50 uh, pine siskins in a full year, but we've been getting that in in, uh, you know, a five-day period now. He's very thin. The cause? Fatal salmonella bacteria infections that cause them to waste away. You'll see here that their body condition is actually quite low. You see how there's a keel prominence, that bone there is quite high. You can tell a bird is infected if its feathers are all fluffed up and it sticks around even when the others have left. They'll be quiet, um, not flying too much. They still can fly. They might have some discharge around their beak. Avian salmonella exists year-round, but it's in the fall and winter when the birds gather around bird feeders that the disease can really take off. When the animals congregate around a feeder, it spreads quickly, especially in those flock species that have larger numbers, like the pine siskins. But why is the problem so much worse this year? And that could be from normal population dynamics, or it could be from people staying inside and putting up more bird feeders. 
So perhaps our pandemic is causing their pandemic. Seed and feeder sales have skyrocketed since COVID restrictions kicked in. So what can be done about it? Clean up all the seed that's on the ground, make it a clean space, grab gloves, treat that bird feeder as a civic contaminant and take it down for at least two weeks. And if you have the option, take it down until the warm spring hits. And wash it outside your home, first with soap, then a 10% bleach solution. And don't worry about how the birds will fare without you. They'll find food elsewhere. Don't worry, they don't need your feeders to survive. We could be saving a lot of lives by not having these bird feeders up right now. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Oh, the little guys. Little guys, yeah. Well, I sent all that information to Jane today, too, so hopefully our (laughs) bird feeder is down and they'll be uh, healthy Mm -hmm. again very soon. All right. uh, Wow, what a difference a day makes in weather, Christy. (laughs) A well-deserved day, I'll tell you that. When I saw the sunshine today, it felt so nice. I'm sure a lot of people were able to get out in their yard, maybe do a little cleanup. We've had seven days of rain. Here's a quick look at what it was like out there today. Yes, finally some sun. Gail sent us this shot from uh, the White Rock area just before the sunset. Just a stunning uh, shot. Thanks so much, Gail, for that one. All right. So let's talk about the chance of rain, by the way. It is going to stay low right through tomorrow. As we head into our Friday, though, we have a chance of rain once again, and I'll show you why in a second. At least, though, one more day of blue sky. It is winter after all. I guess that's all we can ask for. So tomorrow, expect a bit of fog, maybe a bit of drizzle, especially for those of you across Vancouver Island, but sunshine expected by the afternoon. But we do have a front that's going to move on shore. At this point, it's moving quite quickly, and it's weakening as it makes its way on shore. So Friday morning, we're back. Back to rain, but it eases quite quickly. So hopefully a lot of that pushes uh, out of the region fairly quickly and just uh, sort of touches down into our region while we're asleep and in the early morning. Backing up and looking at your Thursday. So showers for the coastal regions, inland regions, sunshine, beautiful conditions tomorrow. I know a lot of people will be getting out there and enjoying the fresh snow that you've had over the last couple of days. Showers though for parts of Vancouver Island, sunshine for Metro Vancouver, other than a bit of fog tomorrow morning. Friday's the day that's going to be wet, but it's certainly not going to be a soaker. And then Saturday, it looks like we're back to some sunshine. A little bit iffy for Sunday, so keep tuning back in on that one. But at least two days of uh, some sun in there for you. All right, your central window's weather window looking out to the Rocky Mountains. This is in Kimberly. Paul Jeffrey sending us that one. Great shot with the pink sky off in the distance there. Thanks so much. All right, guys, back to you. Thanks, Christy. Well, an alleged porch thief in Brampton, Ontario, porch pirate, I think we call them nowadays, proves karma is real after getting caught red-handed. Take a look. You're done. Cops is coming. Should have bought the snow tires or stolen them, I guess. This video posted on Twitter shows the owner of the house opening his door to a man picking up a package delivered to his doorstep. Despite trying to make a quick getaway, he backed into a snowbank and got himself stuck. The 33-year-old man has since been arrested and charged with fraud and theft. Busted. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Yeah, oops is right. No snowbanks around here, thankfully. Just that sunshine today. And look, a little ray of sunshine came into the studio, too. Squire Barnes. Oh, thank you very much. Why is Christy laughing at that? Uh, According to uh, the Canucks' Antoine Roussel, the NHL's new schedule, where they have a lot of games against the same teams over and over, could make things a bit rougher. 
well, my first thoughts is like it's going to be like more edgy every night. Familiarity will breed contempt. Also coming up tonight, a B.C. company sees the light using COVID-killing technology to keep its workforce healthy. done <laughs> i get to throw to you tonight okay there. good i'm very good at catching um, if i had something to throw to you you've got lots of things there i'll catch anything you throw um the canucks are having a scrimmage game tonight uh, one week from their first real game against edmonton uh, this season of course as you know most teams are going to play each other two or three times in a row so as the canucks antoine roussel says that means more hard feelings more hard games and perhaps more fights than usual. It's going to be like more edgy every night because like you see them same guys like all the time. So like if something happens uh, in game one, let's say you, uh, you play four games straight to, uh, against let's say Calgary. Well, guess what? Like game two, you're going to have maybe to answer the bell. Game three, game four. So it's uh, either the the emotion and the, uh, the fire in the game going to like step up or it's just gonna like maybe like lingers longer so i'm expecting more rivalries and more like edgy games now last season adam godette was listed at 6'1 170 pounds i'd love to be that but he'd like to be bigger uh and he couldn't get any bigger until doctors finally figured out figured out what the reason was why couldn't he put on weight it was because he had a long time stomach ailment and that was keeping him from eating enough food. Adam Gaudet has more than just a new number going for him this season. Gaudet has a new lease on life. Now that a longtime stomach ailment, which he's battled since his teenage years, has been identified and diagnosed. Best way to describe it is like a yeast infection in my stomach. Uh, it's just a overgrowth of candida in my stomach that um, that that you know makes me feel nauseous, sick, not hungry, and. Uh, you know, this, this, I've been like this since high school and I, you know, I just thought I was always a kid who, who never really liked to eat, would never get hungry, but, you know, it turns out I had something wrong with me. This is Godet's third NHL season. The fact he's been able to function and play at the NHL level while battling a stomach fungal infection is remarkable. Over the years, the condition hasn't allowed Adam to eat a full meal. It's not exactly the recipe for success, especially for a guy who's been trying to add some strength and additional weight to his hockey frame. You know, I, I would uh, get sick in the mornings randomly, and this has been going on for years, and it's always been a struggle for me to put weight on, but, you know, uh, my nutrition has caught it. We're, we're attacking it. We're working with the doctors here at Van, and, you know, it's going to take uh, a pretty long time to, you know, get back on track and, and get to where I want to be, but we caught this thing now, and, and I'm thrilled about that because I just feel much better. Center, center, a healthier version of Gaudet would help cement his place as the Canucks' third-line center with perhaps additional duties on special teams. He scored 12 goals and put up 33 points in 59 games while he was less than 100%. So here's to full helpings on the dinner plate and hopefully the score sheet.
you know, I'm starting, I can eat more. I'm hungrier more throughout the day and uh, it, it's helping my energy on the ice and it's helping my, you know, my sleep schedule, my, my lifestyle. And, um, you know, it's just, I, I couldn't be more thrilled about figuring this out now. And I just feel so much better. And, and it's just such a heavy weight off my shoulders. And the Canucks have signed center Carson Folt to a three-year entry-level deal. He had 56 points in 61 games with Calgary. Uh, the Canucks took him in the 2019 draft, not at Canucks camp, but he said signing a contract with Vancouver is a dream come true. Well, Seattle Seahawks safety Jamal Adams injured his shoulder in the last Seahawks game against San Francisco. But he says a sore shoulder is not enough to make him miss his first ever playoff game, which is this Saturday against the Rams. Yeah, no question in my mind. I'm playing, man. Yeah, hey, look. As long as his legs are moving, man, um, as long as, you know, my faith is with the man upstairs, which is very strong, I'm going to be out there. It's just another challenge, man. I'm a savage, bro. I'm a warrior, man. It doesn't matter what, what obstacle is thrown my way. I always figure it out, and that's all that matters, man. So I'm looking forward to the matchup. Now, incidentally, the Seattle Seahawks conduct those interviews outside. So when Jamal Adams was doing that interview, he was nearly hit by an offline punt from Michael Dixon, watch. Stay positive, keep going, um, whatever the... Damn! <laughs> Another obstacle that's the, that's the best damn punter in, in the world right there. That's the, that's, that's the best damn punter in the world. Keep kicking, bro, I see you, baby. But uh, I'm sorry. Uh... <laughs> I love that guy. There you go. Oh, wow. All right, thanks, Choir. All right, here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11. Jay. Thank you, Chris. We are monitoring the situation in the U.S. Capitol tonight. We'll have the very latest for you. A small pro-Trump rally in downtown Vancouver turned violent this afternoon. One of those at the event suddenly attacked a media photographer and went after another person. And RCMP are warning the public to stay clear of a neighborhood in South Burnaby after a firearms complaint. Several people have been arrested, but one suspect remains at large. The incident happened in the 8100 block of Willard Street. We'll have those stories and more tonight at 11. All right, Jay, thank you. Up next, BC Business has a light bulb moment in its effort to keep workers safe from COVID. Stay with us. Leave BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross. Flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. organic food company is shining a light on innovative technology that could help slow the spread of COVID-19. Nature's Path has installed far UVC lights to keep employees safe in its break rooms. Aaron MacArthur explains how it all works. The workers in this Richmond food processing plant might not even notice, but the lights over their head designed to help keep them safe from COVID-19. The system that we've installed allows them to eat their lunch with the comfort that they know that the air filtration system along with the lights are killing viruses that are airborne. 
Nature's Path spent more than a million dollars to install protective barriers and distancing workstations. But employees were most vulnerable in the break rooms, where they often have to take off their protective equipment. Kipasa Nature's Path is the first manufacturing company in North America to install this technology, so it is definitely cutting edge. UV light has been used for decades to destroy pathogens. It's often used in water filtration, but typically the wavelengths are harmful to human tissue. Research shows far UVC light with wavelengths between 207 and 222 nanometers kill viruses, but does not harm skin or eyes. We could exist in an environment where it is on and have no adverse effects to ourselves. A company based in Florida called Health has partnered with Nature's Path to install the equipment. The applications range from break rooms to classrooms. We will see unbelievable amounts of this equipment hitting the market over the next year or two. Detect every single person's temperature as they walk into the facility. In conjunction with social distancing and mask wearing, the far UVC light can help reduce viral loads. This type of lighting system is costly, up to 30% more. But for nature's path, the value is clear. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Bright idea. Bright idea. We just need to install one in this bank of lights right here and we'll be fine. No problem. <laughs> I don't know if I can take any more lights. <laughs> Good point. Sunglasses in the studio. All right. Uh, one final look at the weather forecast from Christy. Thanks so much. So a bit of fog tomorrow morning. Some parts of Vancouver Island will see a bit of drizzle, but otherwise we can expect sunshine once again tomorrow, a high of eight degrees. So pretty nice conditions considering what we've been dealing with over the last oh, seven days. <laughs> Hopefully there won't be another day like today so we can actually see the sunshine tomorrow that's right we'll get a chance to get outside what a wild day in uh, u.s politics much more coverage coming up throughout the night thanks for watching